0: Amen. He is risen. Oh, that was, well, we, let's, get, let's try that again. He is, he is risen. Thank you. There we go. Yeah. All right. Well, church, it is good to be together this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. We're going to be in the book of John chapter 20. So let's uh, read together. If you will stand with me, if you are able, we are in John chapter 20 verses 11 through 18. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, this morning, we thank you for the gift of your word. Please help us to have open ears, soft hearts that are ready to hear. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, today is Resurrection Sunday. Why do we need to celebrate Resurrection Sunday? Seems kind of like an obvious question to ask with an obvious answer. But the truth is, we do tend to lose sight of the resurrection. We live as if it didn't happen. It's become something that we acknowledge in passing. Oh yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. But we forget that it's the most pivotal moment in all of history. It completely redefines who we are and what our lives ought to be like. Maybe you struggle with believing whether or not the resurrection is even true or real. Whether you struggle with believing the resurrection is true or real or you struggle with actually living as if the resurrection is real even though you believe it both of them lead to the same place. Our eyes start focusing on this world and this world alone and we d- we feel its brokenness, our brokenness and we begin to believe that we are indeed alone and that this world is all there is and what's in this world is all that matters. So what's the solution? Well, it's to remember the resurrection. Why did the early Christians gather on the first day of the week? It's not because they were gathering on the sab- Sabbath, because they weren't. The Sabbath was the seventh day of the week, Saturday. But the early Christians started meeting on the first day of the week, Sunday, in memory of their risen Lord, celebrating how he had risen from the dead. The earliest Christians were gathering on the first day of the week. It's good to remember because it changes everything. And because of the resurrection, we move from that place of being alone, of thinking this world is all there is, to being known by God. Being known by God. We go from being alienated from God to being united with Him. We see that in today's passage in the book of John. So let's start again starting back in verse 11 and kind of trace through all of the impl- not all of the implications of the resurrection there's too many for us to go through this morning but just a couple of the implications that John is bringing to our attention here in John chapter 20 so starting again in verse 11 but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept she stooped to look into the tomb all right so what's going on well Earlier, Mary and some other women had come to the tomb, saw that it was empty, and run back to the disciples. Then John and and Peter run to the the tomb again, and Mary goes with them. And it's very clear, John makes it very clear, that the disciples still do not understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. He explicitly says that in verse 9. They did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. So they're in this state of not understanding the resurrection. And what is Mary doing as she stands at the tomb? She's weeping. She's weeping. That gets mentioned three times in this passage, the fact that she is weeping. John is drawing our attention and saying, look, I want you to understand, Mary is distraught. Something is going on in her life. So, as we get to verses starting in 12, we have two interactions She starts with this interaction with the angels. In verse 13, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? And she gives this answer, Oh, they've taken away my Lord. And then you get in verse 14, she turns around and sees Jesus standing. By the way, John makes it pretty clear that this isn't a, she's turning around and looking at Jesus but that she kind of maybe sees him in the corner of her eye or maybe her eyes are filled with tears and she can't really see who she's talking to because then later again, in verse 16, she's going to fully turn to Jesus and understand who he is. But at this moment, she doesn't really see him and she gets asked again in verse 15, woman, why are you weeping? And she offers a response that again is just focused on the body. She's so focused on the dead body of Jesus that she can't even remember or dwell upon the reality that Jesus said he must rise again. A corpse cannot move on its own. It's dead. It lays there. And all Mary can think about is someone must have moved him, not realizing that someone did, but it was Jesus himself. That was who moved Jesus' body. So why is she weeping? Well, on the relational level, she obviously lost a close friend, her teacher, the one that she had devoted her whole life to and was following. But on a deeper level, just thinking about the things that Jesus has said in the book of John, because he's dead, he must not be the light of the world. He's not the good shepherd. He's not the true vine. He's not the way he's not the truth and he's not the life if he's laying there dead in a tomb he's none of those things in other words if jesus is dead and stays dead then he is not the answer to what's wrong with the world Every single last person in human history has died and shown themselves not to be able to answer the problems that are wrong with the world. And here Mary is confronted with the reality, or seeming reality, that Jesus isn't the answer. We thought he was going to bring the kingdom of God. But no, he's dead. So everything that is wrong in the world must still be wrong. Here's our first point for today. Focusing on this world blinds us to the beauty of the resurrection. Focusing on this world blinds us to the beauty of the resurrection. Mary was focusing on this world. All she could think about was this world. And so she missed the truth that there was a resurrection happening right in front of her face. I want to talk about one specific beautiful thing that we miss when we're focused on this world. When we lose sight of the resurrection, we fail to see beyond the physical world. All that Mary could see was what she could see. This morning we were out uh, doing the sunrise service, and uh, it was a little cloudy this morning. And uh, Ken mentioned that there's clouds there, but the sun is still behind the clouds. We had a little teeny tiny pink of red, or peak of red light that was, was coming through, but it was not the glorious sunrise that <laughs> we had hoped for. But the reality of the clouds did not negate the fact that the sun was still there. But if we were to focus on only the clouds, well, then we are, there's a pretty huge disappointment. Oh, I got up early to see the sunrise, and all I got to see was some stupid clouds. It's like, well, we got to see the beauty of God in the, in the, the people that were gathered together. We got to hear testimonies, we got to sing worship to our Lord. It was not about seeing the sun. It was about something else entirely. The reality that, I won't make a sun joke, sorry, I almost did. I almost made that sun pun. It's about the sun really has risen. No, I'm not, I, I said it. I said I wasn't, then I said it anyways. <laughs> but when we start looking at this world only, when we look at this world only, then the resurrection becomes a mere afterthought and doesn't impact this world. What would your problems look like? if you actually put them side-by-side with the resurrection of Christ? That problem at work, that relational issue that you're going through, that frustration, that money problem, or the thing that happened at your house, or the thing that your kids said or did, if you actually put that side-by-side with the resurrection, doesn't that impact how you think and feel about that problem? How will you think about that problem in 200 years? I use that time frame on purpose because we'll still be around in 200 years, just not here. We'll be somewhere. How will you think about the problems that you experienced this morning or yesterday or a week ago, 200 years from now? Because you're going to be living in light of the resurrection, whether you're in heaven or not in heaven, perhaps in hell, or perhaps Jesus has returned and we're all in the new heavens and the new earth, those of us in Christ, that is. How will you think about that problem in 200 years? even a non-Christian can understand that the resurrection changes how we think about this world. I remember being on the beach many years ago, and uh, when I was in campus ministry, we used to go down to Panama City Beach during spring break, and we'd go out and share the gospel with uh, drunk college students, which it's, it's a fascinating experience if you've never gotten it. They're actually really open to talking. They're sitting there drinking their beer, and they've got nothing else to do. And so you walk up, and you're like, hey, you want to talk about spiritual things? And almost always, they're like, yeah, sure, yeah, we'll talk about stuff. I remember sitting across from this guy, and we had an hour-long conversation about life, spiritual things, Jesus, the gospel. And I remember getting kind of close to the end of our conversation, and we were talking about the resurrection. And he said, you know, if the resurrection is true, it absolutely has to change everything. Because he said, if the resurrection is true, then yes, this makes everything you're saying to me True the resurrection changes everything. And he's like, that would wildly change everything about my life. I'm like, well, yes, maybe you should consider whether it's true or not. Even a non-Christian can understand that. Yet we as Christians are sometimes the quickest to forget that the resurrection is real, and we live as if it's not, and that this physical reality is all there is. When we lose sight of the resurrection, we lose sight of reality. We deceive ourselves into thinking that what we see here is actually reality. And that doesn't say that this, what we see and experience here isn't real, but there is a deeper reality, a deeper hope and promise of what's coming. The resurrection, life to come. You see, it is not a reality that you are still in your sin. You may feel like you are still in your sin and that your sin is overwhelming and that you just can't say no and you're frustrated by it. But it's not true that you are still in it, and that you're still a slave to it. Because in Christ, you are not. The power of sin has been broken. It's still present, it's still yelling in your ear, but it has no power over you. The same is true of death. It is not the reality that death is the end. It's not. Jesus has proven that. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. Everyone will rise again, whether to everlasting life or to everlasting torment and death. It's not a reality that we're alone. We're not. You're like, oh, are we alone in the universe? Are there aliens out there? And it's like, well, who knows? But I do know that we're not alone, spiritually speaking, and that Christ is alive. He is risen, not he was risen. He is risen. Focusing on this world blinds us to the beauty of the resurrection. There's a beauty behind this reality, or I should say on top of of this reality and maybe in front of this reality that we should be seeing this reality through. Now, I want to keep going in the story. The the tension that exists in this, this little section of John isn't whether or not Christ is alive. You would think that in the story that John is writing, That you get to the resurrection and the narrative tension would build up with, well, is Jesus alive? That's not where John goes. John makes it very clear from the get-go that Jesus is alive. I mean, he's been talking about it from like page one. Hey, Jesus is going to rise again. And so the first entrance of Jesus, he just kind of shows up. Like, this is the first resurrection appearance in John. Having said this, she turned around and Jesus is standing there. And he just kind of talks to her. John, There's no dramatic tension. Nothing happens other than John's like, here's Jesus. The narrative tension in this story exists with how is Jesus going to respond to Mary? Mary has doubted. Mary has been weeping. She hasn't been living in light of the resurrection. So how will her Lord respond? Will it be with a rebuke? Will it be with a, Mary, come on. Didn't I tell you I had to rise from the dead? How will he respond? Disappointment, frustration, rebuke, chastisement? What's he do? Mary. Mary. Christ personally calls his sheep by name. By name. Look at this great compassion that he has for her. John is drawing our eyes back to actually something that Jesus said in chapter 10. In chapter 10, verses 3 and 27, Jesus is speaking first in the third person. He says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And then in verse 27, he says this, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So when Jesus, all the way in chapter 20, first thing he does when he's alive What's he doing? When he speaks, he calls her by name. Mary. So here's our second point. Jesus is alive and calls his sheep by name. Jesus is alive and calls his sheep by name, and this should bring us tremendous hope. It's not, hey, you out there, you know, I guess you can come to me maybe. No, he looks at Mary. Mary. Breathing life into her. A dead man can't have a relationship with anyone. He's dead! But Jesus knows his sheep by name. And that's the first thing he does. And what does Mary do? She responds. Rabboni. She turns to him. She hears his voice. Imagine this, like she's kind of weeping in the tomb. She knows that somebody's there. He thinks, she thinks that he's the gardener. She's weeping, weeping. Mary. Rabboni! She turns to him because she hears his voice. She recognizes it. That's my shepherd. He's alive. He's alive. The resurrection is a call to all of us. It is a call to hear and believe. And the question is, do you hear that call? Do you hear the voice of the shepherd? Do you respond? Look at the posture of this shepherd. It's compassion. Way earlier in the book of John, some of the most famous verses in all of the Bible, John three sixteen to 18, John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, we stand apart from God, separated from God, alienated from God, standing underneath God's condemnation, His wrath, because we have sinned against God. But God loved the world so loved the world that he gives his only son and not with this okay can you measure up and then maybe i'll give you the gift of life he says no will you believe that jesus's death on the cross is enough that is the call and jesus issues this call he's calling out saying i am alive do you believe if jesus isn't alive then he's not enough to give us hope he's a dead man just like everybody else But if he is alive, then he can bring you life as well. He says, do you hear my voice? Am I your shepherd? He gave his life to pay for our sins. So do you believe? Do you trust in what he has done? That's the call. And only you can answer the call. I can't answer it for you. I can't tell Jesus, well, you need to let this person into heaven. I'm the pastor. You should do this. No. Have you responded to the call? There are those of you in this room, many of you, that have responded to that call. But Jesus is still calling. And he's still saying, remember that I am alive. It's a continual call to his people. It's a call to remember that the power of the resurrection is working in our lives. That not only have we gone from death to life, but that dead man that kind of feels like we're dragging around everywhere we go, our old life, our past self. He's continually giving us power over that. I read, or I mentioned this, this verse this morning at our sunrise service, but Ephesians chapter 1. In the second half of chapter 1, Paul is praying for the Ephesians. And this is what he prays, starting in verse 17. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. So he's, he's praying that they'll have the spirit and that he wants them to know God. They'll have wisdom in the revelation of God, to know Him. In verse 18, how? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. And then he's going to list three things. He wants them to know what the hope, uh, he wants to know what is the hope to which He has called you. That's one thing. Second thing, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And then thirdly, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believes? We want, the third thing is the power toward us who believes. What is that power? It's the power according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Christian, you have the power, the Holy Spirit's power, that raised Christ from the dead in your life. You may feel powerless over sin, but here we have God telling us through His servant Paul that that power is in you. We have no excuse not to say no to sin because we have the power of God working alongside of us. Praise be to God. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed by my sin. I'm like, Lord, I don't even know how to say no. I just feel kind of stuck in it. This is just the way I am. I keep doing the same thing. God says, I want you to know my power. I want you to cry out to me in your time of need. Cry out to me. He wants us to know the power he has toward us. So kind of going back to this idea of call. When Jesus calls us by name, when he calls us, part of us being called is us having the power of the resurrection in our life. And us hearing that call again and again and again and saying, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. We have power over sin, power over death. We're called to remember that. And I want to look at one result of this call. Because Jesus gives, he calls Mary by name. She turns to him. She's like, yes, you know, her life has changed. And then there's something that's going to happen. Something that's going to happen. But let me give you the third point before we look there. Here's the third point. Because Jesus is alive we know and are known by the Father. Because Jesus is alive, we know and are known by the Father. That's where John is drawing our attention because something is about to change. Now, before we unpack this, I want to give two other verses for some theological background. The first one is 1 Timothy 3.16. There's a lot of stuff in there. It's kind of a hymn of the early church. But one of the things that gets said is that Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just you need to know that phrase. Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. Well, what the heck is that referring to? It's talking about how Jesus was raised from the dead. And the resurrection proved that Christ's death was enough. That's what the resurrection is proving. It covered it, His death covered all sin and showed that he was innocent. If Jesus was not innocent, then he would not have risen from the dead because his death would have been paying for his own sins. But because Christ rose from the dead, it shows that in God's eyes, he was indeed a just man, he was an innocent man, and therefore death had no hold on him. So God raised him from the dead through the Spirit's power. Jesus did not raise himself from the dead. He was raised from the dead by the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's important. It's not just Jesus saying, okay, I think I'm going to raise myself now. Instead, his work was proven to be enough. It was proven to be enough. He was vindicated by the Spirit. That's the first thing we need to hold in mind. The second thing is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So Christ's resurrection means that we're no longer in our sins. Again, his death was enough it was enough. You see, we have trouble, particularly in Protestant circles, which I am proudly part of. We talk about Good Friday, Christ's death on the cross, because yay, hallelujah, it is for my sins. It's sad, but at the same time, it's like, Lord, thank you. That's why we celebrate it and remember it. And then we get to Easter, and it's like, okay, yes, Jesus is alive. Yay, but also he died for my sins. So like, which shouldn't, like, wouldn't we celebrate Friday the most? Because that's when he died for my sins? The reason why we as Christians take Sunday, resurrection Sunday, as being the day and the one we celebrate the most is because the resurrection proves that Friday was enough. The resurrection on Sunday made Friday good. Without Sunday, Friday's not good. Therefore, Sunday is far more important. Him rising from the dead gives proof to all of his claims, says, yes, the kingdom of God is here and I am the firstfruits of the resurrection. That is what Jesus is doing through the resurrection, or what the resurrection is, is, is meaning for us as Christians. So, Christ is innocent. He's the payment for our sins. And the result of that is relationship with the Father. The idea that we are known and we know God. Because without sin being paid for, we can't know God. Sin keeps us from knowing God. It blinds us. We go our own way and say, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. All right, so back in verses 17 to 18 in John. Jesus gives a command to Mary. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And then she goes and does that. Now there's two big things that John is driving at here. One is this sending component, which is a huge theme in John, which we're not going to impact today. So my apologies. We're not going to go there. But there's another thing about relationship that we are going to explore. It's the shared fatherhood of God. See, in verse 17 at the end, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Throughout the book of John, Jesus talks about his father a lot. He never talks about your father. The phrase your father gets used one other time in the entire book, well, before this point, in the entire book of John. And it's when he's speaking to people who are opposing him, some Jews who are opposing him, and he says, Your father, the devil. That's the only other time your father gets used. But here, after the resurrection, it's not just my father anymore. It's your father. My God and your God. This isn't just something that just kind of happens in the book. John is making a big shift saying something has changed. The resurrection. It changes everything. It means that the sin has been paid for and that our relationship with God is restored and He is our God. Without the resurrection, He's not our God. Sin is a barrier without the resurrection, but now there is no curtain. There is no temple. God is with us. He has come and dwelt among us. We know the Father. Because of all that, The resurrection needs to be like a pair of glasses that we wear around our eyes, changing and coloring everything, putting everything into perspective. I think of our youngest daughter. The way she sees the world is the way that basically mommy and daddy tell her. Like she doesn't know anything else. Everything is defined through the way that we operate. As she gets older, that will change because she'll grow and develop. But the Christian life is the exact opposite. Where we start independent, and as we grow, we begin to look at the world through the lens that God gives us. And the number one lens that we need to be using as we look at the world is the lens of the resurrection. That there is life and there is hope to be had. So Christian, when you are tempted to lose hope, when you look at the world and you say, what is my life? I'm, I'm spent, I'm dying. The resurrection says, you may be dying, but indeed there is life on the other side. Death is not the end. May we view the world through the lens of the resurrection we hear the call of the compassionate Jesus. If you are hearing that call this morning and you're like, I'm struggling, but would, could God possibly want me? Look at what I've done. Yes. He wants you for His own glory to show the world how merciful and gracious He is. Not because you're awesome, but because He's that good that He would love somebody like you. I mean, He loves, he loves me and I'm, I'm pretty, pretty broken. I'm pretty broken. I think if you guys could see my heart, you'd be like, yeah, we don't want him as our pastor. That's our God. He's that full of compassion. Surrender to him, I beg of you. Believe. The resurrection is real. I didn't spend time this morning walking through proofs of the resurrection. You can find that stuff online on your own. I welcome you to do it. Or if you want to come talk to me, we can walk through, okay, why why do we think the resurrection is real? It's out there. But please, believe. Surrender and believe, and then know that you are known. For those of you here today who do know the Lord, my hope for you this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday, it's called Resurrection Sunday, it's not just Easter, Resurrection Sunday, may you know that you are known. Christ lives, and so you live too. May that bring us hope. Let me pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for raising Jesus Christ from the dead. May we know and remember Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And may we know and remember that that has brought us life. We thank you that you did that on our behalf for your glory. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you want us to know you, that you didn't leave us in the dark, but that you brought your light to the world. And it is through that light, through Jesus Christ, that we are saved, not of our own doing, but through faith. Lord, we praise you that you are our kind and compassionate king. We pray all this in Jesus' name.